Welcome back to the Don't Look Now podcast with Jenny and Will. And uh, That's Will. I'm Jenny. Yes. If you couldn't tell our voices apart between Jenny and Will, then, well, mm-hmm. we're living in a more gender-neutral named society than I thought we were. But, but also, that would be kind of nice to not yeah, really yeah, know, right? No, it's not a bad world. Yeah. But it's not probably the world we live in at this point anyway. I so. actually really love kids' names that are like traditionally male names on little girls. Yeah. It doesn't work the same for men, though. Like when I hear a guy named Leslie, like part of my brain kind of hurts, and I feel bad because mm-hmm. I want to, I want to have that equal like sharing back and forth, but I just don't. Yeah, no, I, I know. I mean, the interesting thing though is that a lot of the more feminine men's names are actually older names by far. Like, you oh, know, for sure. Like Leslie's been around forever, and you know, Marion and things like that are, are right. much more old Ashley traditional <laughs> guys' names, and right. uh, you know, that's actually more an old thing than a new thing. But you know, it's interesting. Well, I think names are like anything. They kind of are cyclic. Like mm-hmm. colors. Originally, pink was meant for boys yep. and babies, not for girls. And yeah. now we've switched it. It's funny when we genderize everything and then think it's been that way forever. And it's like, I nope. No most of this stuff started with Victorians, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. They Basically, just brought hell on everything. We covered covered that thing. Everything that we think has been around since the beginning of time was, <laughs> Victorians was from the Victorians. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah. All right, Miss Jenny. So what what is our topic of the podcast St. Patrick's Day! Oh, sweet. Yeah. um, I missed the mark. I should have looked this one up earlier because there's actually, uh, I think the anniversary is next year, but um, this one took place on St. Patrick's Day, which I love, and it's not a culture change movement. That that is crazy. I have been really straining my brain to stop looking (laughs) for those (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh well now i know why you brought us beer to to go with our podcast today that's though. right so yeah um my secret dream is to get will so drunk he doesn't remember what we podcast yeah. for his son apparently but yeah yeah <laughs> yeah apparently that's daniel's dream at least he, he told us earlier you know i don't know where he gets his information but he was talking about you know i heard there's like this challenge to like make a podcast and get so drunk making the podcast that you don't remember what you talked about in the podcast and then you listen to it later and i'm like where are 10-year-olds talking about this at? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I have not a, a standard, lot of questions. not a standard topic at our home anyway, so, you know. It's probably those Minecraft videos where they do the walkthroughs. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, I blame it all on YouTube. There yeah, you go. That's, you there's a good blanket you, statement. It's you YouTube's go. fault. Momo. <laughs> <laughs> Momo says, talk to your parents about drunk podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Eh, it's a good relationship you have with them. <laughs> all right, here we go. All right. Imagine this. It's midnight on a Sunday in March. Out of the dark, a red Dodge Daytona truck? Daytonas? I didn't look this up. I should have. I mentioned it to myself like six times. That that sounds right to me. I'm going to go with that. I'm sure I'm going to get hate mail over this, but (laughs) sounds good. Go with it. We're going with it. So, out of the dark, a red Dodge Daytona pulls alongside a large 15th century Venetian palace. The only light outside is from the streetlights. The people inside the truck wait inside of the truck completely unnoticed, even though there is a massive St. Patrick's Day party happening (laughs) literally across the street, right? Nice. So they're sitting in there. It's quiet. I kind of imagine it's cool and foggy. I don't know why, but that's just in Jenny head. Mm -hmm. And uh, about an hour passes. 
the people inside of the truck look at each other and then they're like, yeah, nod their heads, get out of the truck, walk up to the building. Okay. Inside the building, there's two people. They're patrolling the building, making sure everything inside is all safe and secure. Everything's normal. They've done this a million times. And one of the guards on the ground floor is just kind of like walking around. He's like, I better check the doors and make sure they're all locked. Like he does a thousand times a night. He's done it since he started. He followed the rules. When he was trained, he did this exact same thing. One door's weird though. To make sure it's locked, you have to open it and wiggle the outside handle, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So he does, and it was locked, just like every other night. No big deal. So it's all quiet, and just like I can imagine, all you can hear is like their footsteps. You can see like a flashlight, you know, spinning around because it's a 15th century Venetian building. So I'm like marbles in my head. I don't know why, but it's there. Um, and it's super quiet. He's just kind of on his own. His partner's wandering around someplace, and there's a loud buzzing noise, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, somebody's at the door. What? What? <laughs> so the guard, his name's Richard Abath. Um, he's been trained to patrol. He's been trained never ever to let anyone inside for any reason. Okay. So what does he do? His partner's not anywhere near. They don't have the walkies. Mm-hmm. What do you do? So he kind of goes to the door and he's just standing there. And I can imagine, like, I've been at my door at 2 (laughs) o'clock in the morning. Like, somebody's knocking on it. What do I do? And I actually had a very similar situation to this. So he opens the door and kind of peeks out. Who's outside? There's two cops out there. Literally had the same thing happen to me at one point in my life, right? Ah. Only the cop was real um, because someone had just been chased over my back fence. But no big deal. (laughs) So he looks outside and he's like, oh, there's, there's police officers outside. And the first cop's like, hey. We got word that there was a disturbance in the courtyard um, from the people at the party across the street. So we just want to come and make sure everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Oh, um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not supposed to let people like like a five year old. I'm not supposed to let strangers inside." <laughs> Mommy told me not to talk to strange cops in the courtyard. Right. Yeah. So he's unsure. What What do you do? And like, mm-hmm. I think my default would also be. Let him in. Yeah. So he he does the thing. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those moments in his life that he's able to pinpoint back yeah. for the rest of his life as like, this was the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. Yeah. But I mean, there's just people take advantage of that so easily that, you know, police just have that position in society that you just. You want to help. You want to help. And you also at the same time are afraid to say no. Right. You know, you, well, you, if I say no, what happens? Exactly. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to be the bad guy. I want to make sure I'm, you want to simultaneously be helpful, but not be the person that's not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And right. the, the law abiding citizen spot somewhere in your brain kind of lights up and tells you to do what the cops tell you. But, you know, yeah, at least for, you know, goody two shoes like me that, that, that didn't spend enough time. Well, drinking in, in college, apparently, or whatever else. So, you know, you, you just kind of... And your first instinct is to trust them because that's what you do. You trust these people that are supposed to help you, right? Mm-hmm. So he does the thing. He lets them in. And that first policeman looks at him and goes, hmm, you look really familiar. In fact, I know who you are. There's a warrant out for your arrest. <laughs> um, come show me your ID. Turn around and face the wall. Click. He's handcuffed. He's <laughs> freaking out. Okay, 
have to ask you this. Have you ever had a run-in with cops? I depends on what you call a run-in. No, not really. I had fun stories to share though. My my closest thing to a run-in um was basically my wife and I went to my best friend from elementary school's wedding up in Leavenworth. You know, drove up there, went to the wedding, they had a luau dinner, wedding, all this kind of stuff. Came home, you know, me being me, didn't have anything to drink or anything else at the wedding. Amy falls asleep in the car on the way back. We're driving along. You know, police officer follows us for a long time, suddenly turns on the lights. I pull over to the side of the road, bump the curve a little hard when I, like, pull over. Police wait for backup. Come talk to me. Say, you know, I noticed that you pulled over there and hit the curb. You know, we need to... We need to check on you. And just to add to the situation, imagine Amy's asleep in the front seat next to me. The cop leans in. She wakes up, has had her seat laid back, and she's like, what? What's going on? What? Well, what? What are you doing? And then they're like, there's some guy with a Great, clearly half-passed-out, drug-drunked woman in the seat next to him. You know, And they're like, sir, we need you to get out of the car. They put me through the full drunk test. Did you get to the finger to the nose? I got nose? to do the whole finger to the nose. I got to do the alphabet backwards. I got to walk the line. All this stuff. You know, completely sober, terrified I'm going to screw it up. Right. You know, thinking in my back of my head, if I screw any of this up, I'm going to beg for a blood test. I was you know, say, like you could do a breathalyzer. Yeah, right? I mean, I you know, like if I fail, like how how do I like get documentation that there's nothing in my system? You know, like you know, what am I going to do? This is Thankfully, the most I sober thought stream ever. Yeah, and I'm like shit, <laughs> and I'm also you know I'm not a coordinated person, so I'm like I'm probably going to fall on my ass when I go through and right. try to walk the line, you know, foot to foot or something, and they're going to think I'm drunk. So. Yeah, all of my contingency plans are like, you know, stick a needle in me now and pull my blood. I swear to God, you know, there's nothing in it. So, so yeah, that was going through my head. But then then they let us go and uh, found out later, I guess there was enough kind of drug running through that area that they were basically looking for people in minivans that, you know, looked suspicious. And that's why they were just following me, looking for a reason to pull me over. And uh, there you go. You know, that was two single people in their 20s driving around in a minivan because that's the kind of, you know, people we are. It's boring. But, uh, yeah. So, so there's, there's, there's my biggest run-in with the cops, if you want to call it a run-in with the cops. So. I have a year of uh, issues with the police. <laughs> and <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll tell this quick because it's a little excessive. But uh, my friend, I was 18. She had a really crappy car. And we were driving back and forth to Topeka a lot because we had really crappy cars because that's what you had when you first graduated back mm-hmm. in the day. Oh, yeah. So... We, she and I and her boyfriend went to Topeka to go to a show at my old high school. After the show was over, she had a headache. So they sat in the back seat and she laid down to take a nap. As I'm driving, the headlights stop working. The only way that they will work is if (laughs) if I hold the brights on. So I found that if you put a pin in to hold the thing, it would hold it. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get to our parents' house, not in the best neighborhood, And I'm turning a corner and the pin falls out and the lights fall off. So I immediately reach up and grab and flicker the lights and hold them. Mm -hmm. As I'm trying to turn in, I turn in front of her parents' house, pull over, thinking her dad can fix these lights super quick and it won't be an issue, right? Yeah. No joke. I turn and I hear, whoop, whoop. And I was like, (laughs) no. (laughs) So I pull over and I'm trying to be super polite. They come up. I've got two people passed out in the back of the car. Her dad's on the front porch in his underwear holding a shotgun. Her mom's right there with him, and he's like, leave my kids alone, just, like, freaking out. And I'm oh like, my God. no, 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 everything's cool. This is fine. 
they come up and they're like, we need to see your ID. It's in the trunk. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, it's in the trunk, mm-hmm. is it? And I'm yeah. like, no, yeah, it's totally there. What's with the people in the back seat? And I'm like, she's sick. We're here to get the car fixed, get some migraine medicine from her. I'm like not trying to be a bad person here. Yeah, yeah. He's standing there with his hand on his gun while I'm trying to get the stuff out of the trunk because you don't know oh, what yeah, someone's yeah, going to exactly. Like I totally yeah. understood that. That's the perfect pull the shotgun out <laughs> scenario, yeah. <laughs> Considering her dad, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I give him my ID and he's like, hold on. They go and run my ID. And I'm from Topeka. Well, that that says it all right there. So there was a glitch in the mainframe that night. (laughs) And next thing I know, he's asking me these really awkward questions Mm -hmm. while his partner's running my ID. And he's starting to indicate that I need to get into the vehicle with him and leave. (laughs) And I'm starting to indicate that I'm going to vomit. I am freaking out. Her dad has lost his mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sitting here and I'm like, what's, what, why, why do I, why do I need to get into the vehicle? And then his friend gets out of the car cracking up. He's like, wrong, wrong. (laughs) So I'm 18. I look like I'm 42 at the time. His mate gets out of the car and he's like, I ran her ID again. Don't arrest her. And I'm like, wait, what? Why are you arresting me? And they tell me why they wanted to arrest me. There is another Jennifer McDonald in Topeka. Yeah. Who is a drug dealer. Nice. Who is 34. Remember, I look 42. Yeah. And black. There you go. And the thing that saved me was that I did not look black that night. And I just stood there and I was like, what? She was driving around town in the exact same model of car oh, nice. with a white vehicle. And apparently flashing your lights in that neighborhood means you want drugs. And then pulling over in front of what looks oh, like a trap house. Yeah, yeah. Nice nice combination of stuff there. Mm-hmm. So um, that night I got pulled over six times. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. And it finalized with the car dying over on McCall here in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And the cop gave us a ride back to our house. <laughs> Two weeks later... Um, I got accused of kidnapping my roommate. Like, this was the summer of just every mishap you could have happen. That is nuts. That's a whole different story. We'll go on a different day. Let's get back to this. Because mistaken identity is what that story was about, right? Yes, but, yeah. So, so man is thinking that cops are mistakenly arresting him and is freaking out, I'm sure. Right. Like, oh, no, this is just a misunderstanding. Like, in my instance, it's like, just get in the car with a cop. Like, don't be weird about this. So, the guy's got him handcuffed. He's facing the wall. And he kind of turns to look at him because the cop's just like, words. And he's like, there's something, wait, what? Well, there's something weird about this cop. His, what's, his, something's wrong with his must. Is his mustache waxed? <laughs> is, is he a fake cop? There you go. In walks security guard number two. Now, in this time, this guy's like, oh, shit. Something is wrong. His partner walks in. And Richard realizes, I haven't been frisked. I wasn't read my Miranda rights. Mm -hmm. I need to walk. Oh, my God. Slow motion, like everything's happening, right? So they don't even play this whole pretense with the other guy. They just handcuff him. And immediately they're like, ha ha, funny story. You're not under arrest. We're robbing you. Yeah. So they take them down to the basement and they... Um, handcuff them to some pipes and then just duct tape a whole roll of duct tape on these guys right and the next 81 minutes is one of my favorite stories in the world it results in the loss of over a half a million dollars yep i thought i i recognized this story i did not know the things the uh, saint patty's day aspect to it so that that's pretty awesome so of course it's all right isabella so, gardner museum theft awesome right so this museum was opened in 1903 by isabella stewart gardner she was an american art collector and philanthropist and she collected all this art 
because she received a massive inheritance. Her first piece of art was Vermeer's The Concert. Um, so some of the art she had was like, she was a big fan of Renaissance masters, but she had like a Botticelli. Um, she had a Willard Sears. Um, he was the one that did the old South church in Boston. Okay. So she decided what good is art if I can't share it with the world, which is actually super noble and kind. Mm -hmm. So she created this museum where she could house her personal collection. There were more than 7,500 paintings, sculptures, furniture, textiles, ceramics, 1,500 rare books, a bunch of archival things from Rome, Europe, Italy, Asia, and Islam, which really is kind of cool to think about at the time. Like, she was super interested in everything in the world. It mm -hmm. wasn't just the Italian master. She was interested in Asia. She was interested in the Muslim world. That yeah, wasn't yeah. very common. Um, so her collection included a Titian, a Titian? Titian? I'm going with it. Rembrandt. I think Titian's good, yeah. Yeah. Michelangelo, Raphael, Botticelli, Manet, Degas, one of my favorites, Whistler, and, and then Sargent. So this, this museum did their thing. They had security guards. They had cameras. They had motion sensors. Human error was their biggest problem in this theft, right? So because there's motion sensors and cameras everywhere, they literally know every step these thieves took. Huh but don't have their faces. No, it's nuts. Makes no sense, right? <laughs> so the first thing they did was go right to the Dutch room, and they went up to Rembrandt's self-portrait, and as they approach it, an alarm goes off. And now me, I probably would have just turned tail and run. Instead, they smashed it, and then they lift the painting off the wall mm -hmm. and try to separate it from the frame. They can't, so they cut it out. And instead of even bothering with anything else they stole, they just cut everything out. Wow. So they have 13 different things. Um, number one was Rembrandt's Storm on the Sea of Galilee. Um, he, they took two of those. Vermeer's The Concert. I don't know what in most of these look like. Mm -hmm. um, they took a Shang Dynasty bronze goo, five-day god drawings. And on the top of a flag, there was an eagle-shaped finial that they took. So they, okay. these 13 That's, things, yeah. right? So this is kind of where things get a little bit hinky. The only time that the sensor was set off in one of the rooms was at 12.27 a.m. And then again at 12.53 a.m., hmm. which means that they somehow were able to steal it and not set off a sensor yeah. before the robbery took place. Hmm. Right? Because they didn't go in until after yeah. one. Yeah. No, that's... So who was on patrol then? Yeah. Richard. Mm-hmm. So the other weird thing about this particular painting was where the frame was found. It was yeah. found on their boss's chair, the security chief's chair. Okay. So like, what? <laughs> so the thieves took their hauls out in two trips, and then they stopped in the basement, chatted up the homeboys tied up to the radiator, and we were like, yeah. you'll hear from us in a year. And then they leave. Yeah. The guards are locked in the basement until 8.15 when they're found by the first shift and the police. Okay. Immediately, they have to call in the FBI because they thought that the thieves, the thieves were going to cross the state lines. Mm -hmm. um, and the FBI has also done amazing work on art recovery all around the world, especially since then. Um, they have a whole series and everything. They're, it's fantastic. So they were able to track everything that was stolen from Connecticut and Philadelphia. Okay. They even thought that a couple of them went up on the black market. But here's the thing. Nobody knows what happened to this artwork. Huh. No clue. Um, it, and it's also a really weird collection of artwork. It's not like their most famous pieces. There were a lot that were worth a lot more that weren't touched. Yeah. 
they had a ton of time to pick whatever art they wanted Mm -hmm. and they didn't. Um, and because they cut the things out, they actually said a lot of times the frames were more expensive than the art. Yeah. I've heard that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just super weird. Makes you think they had a shopping list, huh? But you know, either, either they're just complete amateurs, complete idiots or, or somebody had a private collection that they never want to display to anybody else that said, I want, I want these 13 items. Go and get them for me. Most you know? of them were from the original collection, so that's why that makes more sense mm-hmm. to me than just, like, I randomly cut a bunch of artwork out. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So there's a couple theories. Um, <laughs> one of the theories is that because it was on St. Patrick's Day, the Irish Republican Army uh, was responsible for this, and they were going to use the profits from the stolen goods to release their imprisoned comrades. <laughs> and then probably my favorite one is mm-hmm. that Whitey Bulger, the, uh, oh, yeah, the, the mob, mob boss. boss. Yeah. Yep, he was responsible for it. And I actually think there's really good evidence for that one, but we'll see. Does so anyone, anyone work Jimmy Hoffa in by any chance? Just, no, just damn it. Damn it. Yeah. I know. I love some mobster stories. Yeah, yeah. The 90s were the best. I feel like that's one of those things we're lacking is the good stories <laughs> these days, right? Yeah. So at this point, Statue of Limitations is over. Um, if you bring back the art, they, they'll, yeah, they, pay, they will it. literally yeah. give you money to bring yeah. it back, right? Yeah. Um, so the actual investigation was that four years after the robbery, um, they received a letter that promised to return the stolen art. In return, they wanted $2.6 million. And the museum was like, yep, okay. Okay. So the museum was supposed to like put a coded message in the newspaper that was going to look like you know a business story mm-hmm. and they were like sure we'll do that they were willing to pay up to 10 million dollars at the time they're like yeah yeah please we'll let's it. please let's do that so they do but of course like the cops find out and they never hear from the person again huh. then in 1997 a boston herald reporter um was driven to a warehouse in brooklyn by a career criminal who um, was associated with a well-known art thief. So the criminal was called William Youngworth, and the art thief is Miles Connor, and it's important because there's a whole long story about them. Mm-hmm. So they said that they were going to show them the storm on the Sea of Galilee, and the Herald reporter was actually allowed to view this painting with a flashlight. Okay. But he's a reporter. He's he not... doesn't know what an, he's looking for. Right, right? so yeah. he doesn't know if it's real or not. So they give him a vial of paint chips, and he gets it... He does get the paint tested... And they are fragments from a Dutch 17th century, but not from the stolen painting. Okay. So where, where did they, <laughs> where did that come from, right? Yeah, yeah. And why? <laughs> also, how do you determine? Did they carbon date it? Like, I have so many questions regarding I'm, that. I'm betting it's composition of the actual paint that, you know, if it's a particular artist, that at some point they would have known that, you know, they used titanium white that had this in it and that's a particular hallmark of you know and maybe they already had some paint chips from that painting well hey they they got they got the stuff that's cut out yeah exactly okay so that makes sense i've been trying to work through that one for a while all right we're geniuses right so unfortunately young were stopped being cooperative and they were never able to figure it out again and painting gone in 2015, though, the FBI released a video from the robbery. Um, and it's actually from the night before. And mm-hmm. they think it's a dry run. Okay. Um, and, you know, there were two people. One of them's our friend Richard. Yeah. The guard. Because that's what I was going to ask, you know, is from your, your indication before that this had happened on a shift is 
that always screams whenever whenever they kind of tie some people up. Right. Well, that and, and don't like, rough them up or anything. It's kind of like we're we're tying you up so that clearly you're not implicated in this. And in the meantime, right. we're going to do our thing and we're going to come back and make a big deal of the fact that you know. Like the other indicators that yeah, I don't know yeah. the other guard's name. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I figured it all out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so the the thing on the film is is that um, Richard lets the other person in the building two times mm-hmm. within a couple of minutes. The man stays in the lobby for a few minutes and then returns to his car and drives away. Everybody is like, he definitely did this. Mm-hmm. Even the FBI are like, mm. so like in a murder yeah. scenario, who's the first person you look at? Significant yeah. others. Yeah. Who's the first per- in yeah, a robbery? I'm sure, they're bright enough that they did such things. Right, I, I would assume. Yeah. So the FBI says this thing that's literally the worst thing I've ever heard describing a person ever. They're like, I don't know. I don't want to say that he's dumb, but he's like the <laughs> least imaginative person. He, there's no way that he could pull this off. He yeah. just has zero creativity. Yeah. He's nah, he's dumb. That comes out in the news. Like, yeah, yeah. this guy not only has been implicated, it's a mess, right? <laughs> well, so, yeah. the, the uh, big thing, though, was, was that he was, he knew not to let other people in the building. Yeah. That was like his, uh-huh. that it was won. in his it's initial your, It's your one job, man. Right? Yeah. So they think the other person was actually the security chief. Okay. The FBI gets a super hot tip that in East Boston, Suffolk Downs, the horse racing track, the art is stored there. Huh. Who runs the racing track? I don't know who runs the racing track. Wady Bulger! Oh, there you go. That's where he's implicated. Yeah. So since the early 90s, people had said that they were down there back when he was doing most of his nonsense, right? So who do the feds like for this crime? They like Miles, the original art thief that the Boston Herald reporter mm-hmm. met Youngsworth, who was friends with the guy. It's like a whole chain of events, right? The problem is, is he was in jail during the robbery. Yeah. But he had a friend who had been talking about robbing the museum for years, who worked for the crime boss of Vincent Ferrer. There's all sorts of mob connections to this, and it's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Shortly before the death of the friend, he was seen with a sack of police uniforms. And when they asked the crime boss about the uh, crimes about the robbery. He said he had buried the stuff, but problem is he was murdered in 1991 in the middle of a gang war. So moving on in Hartford, Connecticut, 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 Connecticut. (laughs) Gotcha. Yes. It's hard to spell. I wrote Connecticut. (laughs) That's that's what it's spelled like. It's always Connecticut, but yeah, it's hard. Words are hard. Yeah. yeah. I, I had a discussion about how I, I have a hard time saying something properly if it's spelled in a way that doesn't sound like... Even if I know what the word is, if I'm looking at the spelling and the spelling doesn't agree with how it's actually said, I can't say it right if I'm seeing the word. If this word's not there, I can say it. Mm-hmm. But if I, you're looking at it? But if I'm looking at it, it just can't come out of my mouth right if I'm looking at the spelling that doesn't make sense. It's, it's bizarre. But I agree. And there's some words that when you read them and then try to say them out loud, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So, Hartford, there's tips that a gangster mm-hmm. <laughs> named Bobby the Cook knows the location <laughs> of the art. So, in May of 2012, the FBI raided his home. And they didn't find anything. Not even in his smuggler's hatch. I want a smuggler's hatch. Nice. What? Anyhow, in their basement, though, they found something kind of odd. Mm-hmm. They found a list of all of the artwork 
and estimates on how much it would be worth on the open market. <laughs> Just random speculation. I mean, you know, this is you're bored one night and you're like, you know, we're talking all those paintings stolen. I wonder what they're worth. Later, you know, though. Yeah. Well, how do you still have a list in your basement from 22 years later? Well, my, you know, personal theory now, and I'm stating it, it is that clearly those paintings are wrapped around the body of Jimmy Hoffa, stored away somewhere. Yes. Jimmy's actually sitting in a living room in middle Kansas looking at him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all got to tie together somehow. (laughs) So um, in 2016, they arrested him for gun charges, and they thought, hey, we'll cut you a deal. Tell us where the lost art is, and... You know, mm-hmm. one year. And even prosecutors were like, hey, we know you had a friend who you know, we can get involved in this too. And he wants a shortened prison sentence if he returns two pieces of the art. So the guy that wants the shorter prison sentence is very, very ill. Mm-hmm. And he actually dies before he's able to find the two paintings to give to them, which is kind of crappy, right? Hmm. So the problem is, though, that... The um, Bobby the Cook dies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he tells everybody he has the art, but then he does this lie detector test, and mm-hmm. they show he's lying, that he doesn't know where the art is, and then he dies before they can get back to anything. Okay. So back to Miles. During one of the museum efforts to find the art, they raise the reward from 5 to $7 million, and he tells the cops, I know where it is, but here's what I want. I want money and immunity. I think they were just passing out immunity in the 90s, like nobody's yeah, business, yeah, right? Sounds like the way to go. Problem, though, with him, everybody has a problem. Everything's a problem. He has had a heart attack, and he has severe memory loss and can't remember where the art is. Is it just like Bostonians just just don't take care of themselves and everybody dies off before you can solve crimes? Is that the the problem here? I I, I think the problem is is that they were criminals and they they probably don't live that. Yeah, they probably don't live the healthiest lifestyle, I'm betting. No, they don't. Um, so the big, they're, obviously they have never found this art. Um, you can still go to the museum and they mm-hmm. have the empty frames on the wall. Oh, wow. Um, which it's just, it's kind of sad though. Oh, that sucks. Because they were pieces she picked, they will leave them up in perpetuity because mm-hmm. it's part of her endowment. Yeah. Um, so the larger lesson here is, is that when art goes missing, it's a loss for the entire world. It's part of the cultural heritage that's lost. So you can look up other pieces of art that have been lost from around the world or looted from war scenes and things like that. Okay. And it's a pretty big deal. Um, she just wanted the average person to be able to experience what art was in a pretty low-income area. Yeah. So she opened the museum. It has free admission. And you could see the Dutch Masters, which was huge. And it's created a huge impact because people haven't gotten to see this stuff since. So we may never know what happened to it. That's sad. You know. Sad. Yeah. No, I know, you know, it, it reminds me, you know, I like telling random stories of, Get you know, what, yeah, back when I was, oh, I don't know how old I was, probably like 12, something like that. I remember the, the Courtyard collection came to the Nelson Museum up in Kansas City, and I didn't know anything about it because I was a kid and didn't know anything about art. But my, my dad and stepmom took me up to it, and it basically was a bunch of the Impressionist masters, Yeah, you know, the originals there up in the Nelson, you know, walking around looking at stuff, going da 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 and I enjoyed it at the time, but I didn't super enjoy it. It was kind of like, I saw this, and that looks vaguely familiar. And it was the sort of thing that over the years, you know, you'd be like, I've seen that painting before, you know. And right. you'd be like, you know, oh, here's this famous. And you're like, yeah, I've actually seen that. Holy crap. And it kind of occurs over and over again. And you're like, you know, end up being incredibly thankful that you got to see all of this stuff that, you know, I didn't realize at the time just how impressive it was. And uh, kind of the, the capper on it was finally when we went to – 
went to London. The actual home of it is the Courtauld Collection there. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, there in London. And we went and saw it. And, like, I got to see some of those paintings again. It was really cool to, like, you know, kind of come full circle and go, like, oh, yeah, you know, I've actually... I remember seeing that before. Now I'm actually appreciating it because I was like, oh, wow. You know, I got to see some Van Goghs and, you know, all kinds of other stuff that, you know. You would never have the opportunity to see. Yeah, I would never just randomly see as a kid walking through the museum. You know, it was cool. Did you go to see Treasures of the Bazaars while it was? I did not. I remember that being a huge deal. And I did not see it. You know, it would have been awesome to see a Fabergé egg because I've always. 98, maybe? It was somewhere. And it was when I was in college. Okay, I was in middle school, so that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So I went, my middle school went, and I got the flu the night before, and I couldn't go, and I was devastated because my folks really could not afford to take me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I went to inner city schools, so like they were getting a bone to get us to go. Yeah. And somehow, knowing how devastated I was, my parents pulled, I think probably grandma paid for it, but God love you, grandma. Um, (laughs) I think that, you know, they pulled it together and mom and grandma and I went to go see it. And it was one of those things where like, I was so excited and you had headsets where, and I hate that on any, they do it in Europe all the time. You get a little headset and you listen Mm -hmm. to the story. I can't stand it, but I also love it. I just ran circles. I think I ran through it like 20 times because I was so excited. Everything was so shiny. Yeah. I did the same thing when King Tut came to town. Nice. I lost my mind. And <laughs> halfway through, I wanted a snack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. But it's it's so cool. Mm-hmm. I, being able to see something. I love those traveling exhibits for that reason. Yeah, but it's so great to be able to see something like that that, you know, you can imagine in a time when those things were held by the czar or kings mm-hmm. or other things, you know. Common rabble didn't get to see that stuff. You right. know, my, my ancestors were, were peasants out digging potatoes in the field. They sure <laughs> as hell didn't see these paintings. They sure didn't see the treasures or anything else. You know, we were right. we are hegemons, so we are the men of the hedges. So we are the surf hedge tenders. <laughs> you know, I always joke with everybody that we know the, the local hegemeisters that are the masters of the hedges that were clearly the bosses in the <laughs> old country that, uh, you know, told us what to do. But, you know. But yeah, I, I do not come from high people, I do not believe. So, uh, you know. I don't know. I'm disappointed. I descend from kings and the Scottish side of my family. And when I was in Scotland, basically everywhere we went, it was like, and then the McDonald's came. And like, it's this, <laughs> na- they, because they consider them raiders. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because they talk about like, anytime you go somewhere, they're like, and this castle was once held by the McDonald's for like 400 years. And during that time, there was a cultural revolution and everyone was happy and art flourished and blah, 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 blah. And then immediately they're like, but then there was a war, and it was their fault. Yep. Like, just, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I'm yeah, not no, bitter. <laughs> no, my, my, my family, you know, has been trying to sell the story that they're related to the, the English royal family, because my <laughs> my middle name is Bose, and it's my, you know, my mom's last name. Right. And the, the Bose-Lion family is the, the present royal family. Like the, oh, okay. The, the queen mother was a Bose. Well, and this would explain why your kids are so interested in English. Like, oh, yeah, lineage. you know, they... But, you know, it's all been proven to basically be a lie at this point. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the story was that they were basically the, the originally the Catholic branch of the Bose Lions that fled oh, to okay. Ireland when everything went down and that eventually made their way to the U.S. and whatever else. And it's generally been shown that, no, they're actually the Oboes from, from Ireland that have jack to do with the royal family right. and, you know. Now we're just Irish, but yeah, you know. Exactly. I keep holding on to this dream that I'm part of the clan because we can trace up to when we left Scotland, but mm-hmm. like, it's highly possible that I was just an adopted drunken cousin or something like yep. that. Who knows, right? Yeah, so I'm just just a bunch of 
common Irish German, you know. We're just common. Scum. It's all good. It's Wait, all you good. did that an- ancestry DNA kit, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I came out it's yeah, super white bread. Yeah. You're I, so white. Oh, yeah, God. originally I, you know, I was hoping for some some interesting, you know, cuz you, you take that and you're like, maybe I'll find something exotic about my background and it came back and like you are 100% European and it was like everybody's usually at least one tenth of 1% something, <laughs> right? You know, and it was like you are European. The most exciting thing was one ancestor eight generations ago came from Sardinia, an island off of Italy. That is the most exotic it gets for me. And you're still on the Caucasus eight region. Gen- eight generations back, <laughs> I was Southern European. There you go. I, you know. So my but, favorite thing about these mm-hmm. DNA things yeah. is that it's like the new version of going to high school and doing the blood typing. Yeah, yeah. Where they like suddenly discover, oh, or Punnett squaring. Yeah, you find out you're not related. <laughs> you find out your parent's not your parent. Like, wait a second, I've got a chin divot, and then, oh my god, no, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh no, I. Uh, they, the one cool thing is they they recently updated it because I oh, guess I guess they did some some whatever and they updated my background and I'm now one tenth of one percent sub-Saharan African. So oh, there you go. Diversity has been added. King Leopold. Anyhow, yep, yeah, yeah. so let's go down the rabbit hole. 52% of art is stolen from homes. 8% is stolen from places of worship. Mm-hmm. But 95% of this art is never returned. Huh. Which I think so what do people do with it? Usually it ends up in museums or rich people's houses, I've decided. That would make sense. Yeah. Damn yeah. rich people. I know. Yeah. I blame them 1%. Stealing all my art. My dogs playing poker. Yeah. Guess who's the most famous forger in the world? Most famous forger in the world. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I had no idea. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with like Paul Revere or something like that. Michelangelo. Oh, nice. Right? No, I You don't that. think yeah. of that yeah, as yeah, one. Yeah. Apparently, he used to make copies of any of the major artworks out there. Mm-hmm. And then he would swap them for the originals. <laughs> <laughs> and now they're worth more than the originals because right. they're done. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. However, the most prolific, so like the person that made the most forgeries in the entire world, is an artist named Mark Landis. Mm-hmm. He tricked 60 museums into believing his replicas were authentic. Nice. He did this because he's a diagnosed, diagnosed schizophrenic, and he thought that he was the people Well, there you go. The I mean, see, that's... So the think, way to be convincing is to truly believe what you're telling right. people, right? And like, right? part you know? of me wonders, like, is that really a... Is it a crime? Is it a crime because he thought that he was doing... Yeah, If, you if know. he really thought that he was doing the right thing and they were... Hit- yeah, you'd have a hard time with that one. That, that'll leave that to my, my legal buds. Right. But, you know... And if he's that good of an artist... It seems seems like you'd have a case there where you could at least get him some kind of, you know, mental health treatment without prison time or something based on that. But, you know... I would hope. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So I think that think that, that wraps it up today. This wraps huh? up the the Gardner Museum heist. All right, yeah. No, I've always heard of that one, but I did not. I was always light on the details. I kind of knew the the overall. Some police, you know, people showed up dressed like police and had robbed the museum, and the stuff had not been returned. But I never really knew any of the the, mob the inside. Yeah, you gotta love mob connections. Boston, man. I I want to go. I've never been. Yeah, Boston. Yeah, no. Boston. Yeah, I got to. I'm trying to think of any exciting Boston stories I've got. I mean, I've been there like. A couple times, you know, showed up at the Cheers bar. Woo-hoo. Yeah. One of my friends ran the Boston Marathon the year it got bombed. I was actually doing a project where we were kind of sort of living in a an apartment. We were taking turns living in an apartment. Mm-hmm. And she was my roommate during the time. And I knew she was going to go. And I was like, okay, have fun. Cool. And then we get this text message. 
oh no, she's she's there. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? Because during college I didn't pay attention to anything and it was yeah. Nice. That's that's scary. It was scary. Yeah. No, that was a crazy, crazy thing. It was. She was fine. Um in fact she's rocking it out in life because she's just a stellar person. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'll just leave it with my I guess probably the two most exciting things I've done in Boston was I've seen the site of the Great Molasses Flood of eighteen eighty eight. Yeah, that was that, is so that was kind of a, a life life changing event of seeing. You know, this is the site of my yes. I've been here. Now I've seen the site. That that's probably for another story sometime to talk about yeah. the molasses flood. And the that other was I, I I ended up walking by Jim Carrey on or not and uh, not Jim Carrey. Yeah. Drew Carey. No. Um, I got really excited here. Yeah, I was excited. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carrey, but not the fun Carrey. John Carrey. The politician. The politician. Okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh. The least exciting of the carries. Man, I was. I'm... Yeah, yeah. Now, married heir to the Heinz Foundation fortune or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I walked by him in Boston Common. That, that there's my exciting Boston story for you there. And so I could walk by. I'm like, wait, I think he's. Fa- oh, okay. I guess he walked by. And that I'm, was. I walked by a president like that one. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Don't we know him? I feel like I know that man. Yeah, that's the president. <laughs> oh, oh. Now I know where I know that dude Cool. From. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So All remember right. to rate, review, subscribe. We're on YouTube. No, wait. iTunes. Yeah, Stitcher. we're on iTunes, Stitcher. Um, Spotify. Spotify is a good one. Basically, about Pocket anywhere you, you get your podcast, you can find us or you should be able to find us. Yep. And our music's provided by Hollow State. Email yep, us Hollow if State you have audio. anything that you want to talk to us about. Join our Facebook. All right. Thanks. Thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye.